This is the essentials. 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 The Essentials shown as double one day for the Essentials pod. You know, I think people are starting to spend their weeks looking forward to your intro here. I was, was going to start with 11th Heaven, but I thought that was a bit uh, a bit predictable. So double one day. Yeah, you nailed it. <laughs> well, today I thought what we might do is explore a topic that gets... It's sort of the um, victim, I would say, of a, of a smear campaign mm. from the right. It doesn't mean there aren't smear campaigns on the left, but we're going to focus on one that's a smear campaign on the right uh, and, a, and a, a, a term or a topic that maybe needs to redefine itself a little bit. Clarification, I guess? Well, I think I'm thinking about the dreaded left-wing ideology of socialism. Dun, dun. Yeah, bit of a bit of a dangerous one. You know, socialism gets dragged through the mud a lot, especially when we listen to the politics of our friends south of the border. Yeah, uh, anyone who who is branded as a socialist, you might as well be hung, drawn, and quartered, or at least thrown in prison. Mm-hmm. Or people who disagree with aspects of our Canadian system. Yeah, and I think socialism is a hammer that is it, it, that is used to bash people. But I think it's the wrong hammer because John, I'm going to argue today, and probably you might agree with me that. Being labeled a socialist isn't a hammer at all. I, it's not really a shameful term. You've seen De- Bernie Sanders in the U.S. political context, though he's tried to have to rebrand himself, doesn't he? No, 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 I'm not a socialist. I'm a democratic socialist. And that's kind of the way the conversation is going, that f- people feel the need. Just as liberals have started to call themselves progressive to try to distance themselves from a word that has become a pejorative. Yeah, I mean, uh, being labeled as a liberal in the United States is akin to being a communist almost. Like it's, yeah. it's interesting how we take these terms, or these terms have been used and conflated. So I thought what we might do today is maybe we dig into a little bit of the past of socialism, and then maybe perhaps we can seek to redefine, or actually more accurately define what it is in the 21st century context. Nice. So from a historical perspective, the term socialism is born out of the Industrial Revolution, and it was really the pitiful existence of the slums which creates the need for a, a movement that sort of embarks on evening out the social capital or at least the human experience of people. The idea that the workers were busting their buns and just not having a great life to show for it. On top of that also, the establishment of what we would refer to now as 1%, but certainly massive class stratis- stratification. Mm. But coupled with that, the, the existence of the Industrial Revolution meant an increased urbanization. Right. So as people move away from the farms in an agrarian lifestyle, to move into the cities to work in the factories, you get all these uh, uh, impacts of greater urbanization that are kind of negative. Mm. Things like slums, um, communicable disease rates on the rise, certainly the conditions in the factory themselves, kids working in factories, women working in factories in the early days for sure. These were things that became quite intolerable in society. So this gives rise to, but doesn't necessarily equate to the rise of the union? It will lead to the rise right. of the union. The union um, will sort of become an important player on the sort of uh, employment landscape towards the end of the 19th century. Right. But really, by the, by the fr- in, within the first half of the 19th century, 
In Britain, you've got society passing these things called the Factory Acts. And the Factory Acts were designed around limiting the amount of time that kids are going to spend in coal mines. Because kids mm -hmm. who are five years old maybe should just be kids who are five years old and mm -hmm. not be working in the coal mine. And then actually it'll expand and it will stop women from working in the coal mines. So they can look after these kids who are no longer working in coal mines. Right. Um, there will be... Uh, other things that will allow for um, changing working conditions. So the 12-hour the, the shift will be banned, and then it'll, be, it'll drop down to eight-hour shifts. People will get weekends. You know, a lot of these things that you and I and almost everyone out there holds dear comes out of this movement towards socialism. And so there's this guy, Karl Marx, and his buddy slash financier Engels, and they're seeing all this happen and trying to, A, predict what where it's going to go and be provide a bit of a recipe for how to do it. Yeah, and so I think Marx and Engels, as you've, as you've rightly pointed out, these guys become the extreme version of socialism, which is right. communism. And, and we shouldn't conflate these terms, no, John. As I'm sure you. You, you're well aware. I mean, communism and socialism are not the same thing. Uh, Marx writes his book, uh, the, the Communist Manifesto. Really, it was a response to... Um, the, the Industrial Revolution as well. And he saw societies tipping towards this uber-capitalist model, which will then require that the poor people shed the shackles of oppression and overthrow uh, the governments through violent revolution. Right. And so socialism was uh, a step along the journey towards that extreme? Yeah, if you think about the left wing as a continuum, socialism would be part way along. And it was this yeah. idea that we're not going to have a fully equal society because that doesn't take advantage of the remarkable circumstances of individuals. So that yeah. we need to embrace that. But at the same time, we there are certain things that we can do that you know people should be making a wage that they can survive on if they're working and if they're not working for for reasons that are beyond their control maybe as a society we should look after them now of course looking after your employees giving them better pay better working conditions all that stuff that doesn't necessarily make you socialist socialism is more about who owns the means of production right who owns these factories there are socialist endeavors, and then there's socialism, right? So when we right. think of um, socialism, a lot of us will, will think about the welfare state in particular. Yeah. Right. And so the welfare state becomes popular in Western society in particular after the Second World War. So we've had this continuum of, of socialism. In Britain in particular, you have the rise of the Labour Party, for instance, which is now the one of the top two parties in Britain. And by the post-war years, it has certainly replaced the Liberals, who have kind of fallen out of favour. Um, in 1945, there was something issued called the Beverage Report, and in the Beverage Report, one of the key phrases in that is that a state is responsible for its citizens from the cradle to the grave. And that, in essence, is the philosophy which has driven liberal Western societies to the standards of living that we enjoy today, which in a previous pod we discussed as the best it's ever yeah. been at any time. Were we seeing parallels in the U.S. with the New Deal? The New Deal was absolutely a socialist endeavor, and it's interesting that it was put in place by arguably the greatest American president of all time, Franklin Roosevelt, who won four straight terms, probably would have, would have won a fifth and a sixth had he survived polio. But yeah, the New Deal was designed to combat the depression of the 1930s. It was to get people to work, building highways, the interstate system. Um, there was uh, Tennessee Dam projects. The New Deal was... If the New Deal was brought forward today in the 21st century, it would be labeled as an absolutely socialist uh, idea, and the Republican Party would slaughter it.
So, John, I've been talking a lot about the history of socialism and what it is. Maybe you can tell us a little about what isn't it. Well, first, let me pick up on what you were saying, that it's not full-blown communism. This is not the people sharing the means of production and the benefits of production. It's it's more about the state controlling typically um, what's happening. And, and yes, you mentioned stuff about the welfare state and also state projects, whether it's infrastructure projects or you know welfare state or you know education systems, healthcare systems, stuff like that, which we've seen a big rise of in the last half century to a full century. It's also certainly not authoritarianism. It does not need to be. It can be, just as capitalism can be authoritarian. Sure. Um, but you know the the abuses by socialist and communist governments that we've seen in the past, um, arguably spring out of some of the shortcomings of these systems, but aren't necessarily linked to them. So interesting that Marx is the name that we often associate with these extremist authoritarian views, like these communist states. Well, if you look at them, Soviet Union. Cuba, Cambodia, North Korea, whichever one you want to pick, none of them were ever actually true communist states. Yeah. Uh, and really, if, if you read Marx, he would have been appalled at the way in which these states went about their business. if we just talk about current countries, current nations, and their implementation of various degrees of socialism. It depends if you're listening to countries that Donald Trump would label as socialist states. It's so funny, he'll condemn Scandinavian countries, and at the same time, he'll put his arm around North Korea. So I find him wildly um, inconsistent in how he approaches various socialist countries. But, you know, this is different approaches to socialism. Like, there, socialism doesn't look any one particular way, does it? No, not at all. So... In Scandinavia, you know, and, and again, it's not probably fair to just, you know, say that all four of these Scandinavian countries are the same, but we did see higher taxes, higher government services, more um, social ownership, more national ownership of these programs. Um, you think famously of, of Norway and its sovereign wealth fund, that all these offshore oil wells were owned by the Norwegian government, and that sovereign wealth fund was generating revenues which now have reached a trillion dollars and that's money in the bank. That's about 200,000 euros for each Norwegian. They're not getting paid that money, but it exists. It's paying for things like healthcare and education. So interesting, you talk about that oil fund. Uh, and in fact, what Norway is planning on doing is leaving that oil in the ground. Yeah. They're, Trans they have it. Transitioning away. Big time. And right. you can only really get away with that in a state that has sort of socialist leanings to it. Right. Because sometimes the government has got to make decisions which isn't driven by some free market capitalist who would pull that oil out of the ground to sell it mm -hmm. but is that really what's best for for the world I, i've digressed a little bit there john but well, uh, it, it's so interesting isn't it and to just to finish the thought on some of these scandinavian countries in some ways they've pulled back in the last 10 or 20 years from the more socialist aspects of their economy they've they've started to introduce more private ownership and and lower taxes in some situations thinking yeah we had the right idea but maybe went a little bit too far and their economies have improved as a result it's interesting that the decision to lean towards left or lean towards the right often hinges on two on a couple of things People who lean to the left, and socialists in particular, will say that human cooperation yeah. will exceed the capabilities of human competition. And that's interesting one way to think about it, that um, 
you know, there was a famous uh, manager for Liverpool Football Club called Bill Shankly, and he says, a football club is each person doing the best they can for their club. He says, that's how I view football, and that's how I view society, and that's why I'm a socialist. Took 11 episodes for you to mention Liverpool. I am amazed. <laughs> I lost a lot of money on that. Okay. Um, some other countries. I can remember, Tom, I visited Cuba twice. Again, not a fully-fledged socialist state, but certainly well along that spectrum. And it's, I think it's fair to say that socialism did not serve the Cuban people well. They have lived in quite a bit of poverty. Now, you could argue that they've still been quite a happy population, um, but it hasn't served them very well, and they, as well as we're all seeing, are pulling back and now allowing more private enterprise, hotels, restaurants, barbers. Of course, it's worth pointing out Cuba, under particularly Fidel Castro, was also a cruel state with authoritarian tendencies separate from the economic model. And to what extent did the economic troubles that Cuba suffered come from massive U.S. embargoes yes. uh, as a result of the Cuban Missile Crisis and the Cuban Revolution? You know, I think that does play a big role in it. But I think your point is well kept that we don't want to come across as people in this podcast saying that, hey, if you go socialist, it's all going to be puppy dogs and rainbows because Venezuela, for instance, mm -hmm. it hasn't gone very well there, has it? Not at all. Um, and even t 10 years ago when things were better... There's, they weren't as good as they are in other capitalist, more capitalist uh, countries around the world. Now, worth pointing out, Venezuela's biggest problem is not its economic model, it's its corruption. Yeah. You know, a currency that has been uh, inflating at about 200,000%, if memory serves, but the government officials are getting 10 times as good a deal on their exchange as the regular people are and as business people are that's a recipe for disaster, and really, it's not about socialism or capitalism. This is just a kleptocracy. This is just a government yeah. stealing gov uh, the people's wealth. And I like that you point out that it's not a competition between capitalism and socialism, because actually, you can have both. You can have countries that do support small business and large business and offer competitive tax breaks to corporations and house big corporations, and also have social policies or social leanings that you could possibly describe as socialism and maybe Canada is one of those countries and Sweden is one of them and Absolutely. Germany is one of them. Well, uh, frankly, Tom, every Western nation is. We all have socialized education systems. We all have socialized healthcare systems with the exception of the United States. Mm. I mean, even the U.S., which is this bastion of capitalism, Huge. what is the biggest social project the world has ever seen? the U.S. military. Oh. It hires more people, it builds more stuff, it buys more stuff. This is social engineering on a massive scale, and it's a huge chunk of their budget. And, and if people were proposing, you know, a, a U.S. military, and opponents were saying, but that's socialism, people would say, uh, yeah, but it's for our benefit. Police, fire, ambulance, like you said, most countries for hospitals, we take a lot of these things for granted. But if you think about what, what they are, they are state-run services. And it's an important distinction to make because I think in a lot of these westernized, westernized nations, particularly when you look at healthcare, we say, yeah, we like capitalism. We like competition. We like people making profit and innovating and getting the benefits of all the great stuff they've created. But maybe we don't want to leave something as important as our healthcare prone to the vagaries of market influences. That's why we don't want our healthcare system. I don't want my healthcare to be determined by shareholders, by hospitals run by corporations that answer only to their shareholders. I'd rather have 
the people looking after my health care. And the government of Canada, is our health care system perfect, Tom? Not even close. Of course it's not. But I'll take it over the U.S. system any day. And they would say the same thing in, in Britain, in France, in Switzerland, in Scandinavia. To the same token, insurance companies as well. I don't like the idea of insurance being privatized because, you know, privatizing insurance, the company's main goal is to make a profit. In the same way that in, in our business right now, education, you can have schools that are not for profit and you can have schools that are for profit. And I would never send my children to a school that was for profit because they'll skim from the top to make money. And that's not really what you want in those kinds of systems. And so here's the point ultimately that I think you and I both agree on is it's not about this is capitalism this is socialism and using these things as term to disqualify a program we're proposing we're saying let's just talk about the numbers let's talk about the principles let's suggest how do we want our society to approach this how much do we want to spend on it what do we what are our priorities and let's just come up with an adult reasoned conclusion and find some compromise So, John, I think we're in this interesting climate in the world where we need to rebrand the word socialism because of the assault on its character over the years. You know, that which is referred to as socialism on the right is not real socialism. In the same way that from the left we refer to conservatives as a certain way, and that's not really conservatives either. We need to be more precise with our language. And see shades of grey nuance that has to exist in any kind of informed and effective political dialogue. The politicians of today, not just in the United States, but in Britain, in France, in Canada, more and more disturbingly, they're falling on these logical fallacies, the black and white fallacy that you were speaking about earlier, that it's either this or it's that. And neither socialism nor conservatism is that. They are on a spectrum. There's shades of gray in there, isn't there? And we're allowed to take different positions and, and pick and choose from these things. And, and I think, you know, when you look at the way the economy works, particularly economics that involves so much fuzzy logic, so many externalities that you can't predict. So to suggest or our economy's going well because we're capitalist or it's going right, badly because right. we adopted a socialist policy. No, there's so many other factors. So you have to embrace this stuff. And, and the, you know, when the economy goes well, we pull a little harder on one lever. And when it's going badly, we pull a little harder on another lever. But really, it's about compromise and, and reasoned debate, isn't it? And being more informed as an electorate, we're kind of in a dark period in our political history. Mm. Uh, certainly with, with Brexit, the, the rise of extreme right-wing movements, the rise of extreme left-wing movements, we can't excuse those either. But the way we get through this, and I would say the way we get through any difficult political moment is by being an informed electorate. And so when lazy politicians get up on a stage and throw around words like socialism as if it's an accusation or conservatism, like it's an accusation of some evil or wrongdoing, that we can hold them to account and say, no, that's not what that word means. Mm -hmm. Don't be lazy with your reasoning. And I think you and I were talking off air a little bit and saying these politicians don't know better. I give them more credit. I think they do know better, mm. but they are preying on our ignorance, our oversimplification of these topics. And that's the key, isn't it? It's not that this is right. It's not that it's wrong. It's that this reality is never black and white. And if you oversimplify, you do so at your peril. We need to be better critical thinkers so that we can respond to people like Sean Hannity and not simply react to his vitriol. 
I'd be interested to hear from our listeners on this one, Tom. Is socialism an effective buttress against the excesses of capitalism, or is it that danger lurking in the corner that we need to be wary of? Where on the spectrum does Canada stand, and where should it? Ex- uh, where should we stand? Should we be more or less socialist? I'd love to hear from people. Send us an email, uh, theessentials at gmail.com, or leave a comment uh, wherever you found this pod. Thanks again for listening to The Essentials.